Amen. Now, um, if I was to ask you if you've ever done, if you ever did something really good and then got something really bad in response for that, have, 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 has anyone ever gone through that kind of experience? You did something good and you didn't get like applause. You got someone kind of like harassing you or kind of talking behind your back about it or um, maybe that's happened to a few people, I think. I think that's probably happened to a few people. Uh, that, that's actually what this section of the Bible is all about. It's all about actually doing good. It's all about having faith and then actually suffering for that thing that you think is actually good to begin with. So instead of getting the applause, you get the pushback. The Christian faith, I mean, whatever you might think of it, is definitely an honest one. And it's, it's not gonna say you'll never suffer. It's not gonna say your life's gonna be perfect. It's not gonna say you're, gonna, you're never gonna go through difficulty. The Christian faith is quite honest about the difficulty you're gonna go through. I mean, we follow, like our leader is the one who is actually publicly tortured to death. So it's quite honest about the difficulty in life. Uh, it's an honest one. And we're told we're gonna go through bad times, so we shouldn't be surprised when we do go through bad times. I was, I was actually thinking, that might be a good level of entitlement, uh, your, your own entitlement level. If you're surprised when something goes bad, that might show that, oh, maybe I'm a bit entitled in my life, because we should probably just assume eventually things are gonna go bad. But here's the thing. We're all going to suffer. That's truth. You don't need the Bible to tell you that, or the Bible does say that. That's true for everybody. How can we do that well? Nobody, suffering is difficult enough as it is. How can we go through that well? I want Max and, and Isaac and Faith, when they suffer, when they grow up and suffer, to be able to go through that well, to go through that and come out stronger on the other side. I want that to be true of my life and, and everyone else who's here. But first, before we maybe jump into some of that, um, let's talk about exactly the kind of suffering that the author here, Peter, is talking about. He's not saying um, suffering when just random bad things happen. He's saying suffering for when you're doing good, suffering for your faith in particular. It's a very kind of specific kind of faith. He says if you suffer as a murderer or a thief or even as a meddler, you kind of get what's coming to you. Like if you steal something, you're going to get put in jail. And that's not suffering. That's just called natural consequences. No, he has something a lot more specific in mind here, suffering for your faith. So even though most of this is true about suffering in general, all of this is true when you suffer for your belief in Jesus. Now, I might have lost some of you there because maybe you're like, I don't have a faith in Jesus and now's the time to check Instagram and start scrolling. Here's a few reasons why you shouldn't check Instagram. One, none of your friends are doing anything interesting now on Instagram. Look where you are, right? It's not, it's not super exciting right now. I guarantee there'll be something more exciting going on, I promise. Uh, secondly, there are actually good principles in here for everybody regardless of what you think about Jesus or his church or the Bible. There's actually really good principles to live by. And third, if, if you're here to support the Martins, this is a way of a brief look into the faith that they have and how you can support them. And there just might be something interesting in here for you. And also, you, like me, might find this to be a strange topic for a Thanksgiving service. Yeah, it is weird. It's not your, maybe someone's first choice. Suffering, really? That's kind of a downer. Well, for all of our little ones, they are going to go through suffering. And so if we don't know how to go through that well, what are we modeling for them? And if we don't know how to, how to learn it, we won't be able to teach it to them. And so this is not only for them, it's also for us. So I think we probably all want to go through suffering well, but it doesn't always happen that way. We're going to look at uh, two things here, two things to remember and two things to do. Two things to remember and two things to do when we suffer for our faith. The very first thing, when we suffer for our faith, we are with Jesus. Whenever we go through difficult times, we're always tempted, regardless of your experience, you will always be tempted to think, I am alone in this, God has left, 
He's, and the reason why I'm suffering is because God has left, so it's probably like his fault, really. Like, it, we think that we're alone, that we don't have God with us. But that's not what we're told here. When we follow for Jesus and we suffer for it, we're tempted to believe the reason is because God has left us. And what we end up doing, if we think we're alone, we do one or maybe all of three things. We give in, we give up, and we burn out. We give in by becoming just like everyone else. Faith is just too difficult if we're going to do it alone. So we just kind of give in and just do what everyone else says. We give up on God because he's the one who put us in this position. We shake our fists and get angry with him. And maybe we're so angry we try and believe that he's not there. The third thing we do is we burn out. We take all that frustration and we put that on other people. And all that, and then all the other people just experience us as grumpy, frustrated people. And no one wants to really be around that. And we act this way because we think we're alone. Erroneously think that we're alone. Because look at verse 13. Rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. God hasn't left you when you suffer. He's actually placed you right in the middle of where he is. That's really hard to believe. That's why we need these words kind of telling us what it means to suffer. Verse 14 says, the Holy Spirit and the glory of God rests on you. That can't happen if he's not there. He has to be present with you. When we suffer, we're with Jesus. And that's how we can uh, suffer well. What we get to do, and this is, it, it, it flips things. It feels a little bit upside down. We get to rest in the one who already rests on us. We'll talk about rest in a moment here. But just that first point to remember, uh, we are with Jesus. The second thing to remember is we are blessed. This is not something anyone would really get. And this is not like a, a kind of a masochistic thing of like, oh, I can't wait to get pain because I'm going to feel blessed. It's not what's going on here. Well, what we're told here is uh, we remember that we're blessed. We're blessed by the Holy Spirit and the Father. Because when we go through difficult times, we think we're doomed. We think uh, either we deserve this punishment, some kind of like, because I'm a horrible person, I deserve this thing. Or uh, we think like, this is just how life is going to be horrible for the rest of our lives. We've been forgotten. All those kind of things come up. But what God says in verse 14, doesn't say that we're cursed. He says we're blessed. Verse 14, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. I don't get that immediately. I don't like God very much when I'm insulted for my faith, I got to tell you. It says the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. That in itself is a blessing. The reason you will go through hard times is precisely because of this reality, the Holy Spirit and the glory of God is present in yourself. That's not only how we go through the difficult times, that's also what will bring us into difficult times. I mean, if you'd followed Jesus for any length of time, you know that you will be treated badly for your beliefs. We like to think we live in an inclusive society, but we're really, and we say things that are inclusive and things like that, but the reality is our, our experiences aren't always like that. We know that. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, that's true. And now not everybody is going to hate you, um, but you will get some pushback. Uh, I mean, mate, try being a minister, right? I'm, I'm weird anyway, but then add minister to it, like there's a whole nother level of like, what's this guy on? Now nobody, not everybody's gonna be like that, but some people will, that's definitely true. And when it happens, I want to know this, I want you to know this, I want Max, Faith, and Isaac to know that they are blessed. They're blessed. And suffering in God's economy doesn't equate to like a lesser status. It doesn't equate to a higher status either. It doesn't equate to any kind of standing. 
when we suffer, we might feel like God's trying to take us down a notch, that he's trying to like put us in our place, that he's, and he might be trying to discipline us, but he's not trying to, to remove his love from us. When you discipline your children, it's not because you're removing love, you're, you're like loving them. It might be difficult, but you're, you're loving them. The Holy Spirit and God the Father himself rests on us, they're present with us, they're, they, they've blessed us, and so they see us. No one else might see us. They know us. No one else might know us. Now, I just want to spend just a really brief nerd moment on this word rest, because it, it, it's nerdy, and I, I like the nerdy thing, but I think it's actually helpful, so we're going to talk about it just briefly. There's two ways to define this word rest. The first is the obvious um, thing of rest. I don't know, um, we have two spots in our house that um, if we get up in the morning, it's like a mad dash for like, oh, that's the comfy spot. You know, you get your coffee or tea or whatever, you find the good spot and you want to get there before anyone else does. I don't know if you guys have spots like that, but there's two like highly acclaimed spots in our house. And if Colin is there, sorry, buddy, he's out of there. He, he has no standing. Um, but you know what I mean. Uh, so there's the idea of, of when you're in that chair, ah, oh, it's restful. It's just like, it's, you just feel comforted. And, and that's one aspect of rest. But there's another element, uh, and, and, uh, and that's part of being blessed. There's another way to define this word rest. It's this idea of, of reviving, of not just uh, be having comfort, but getting life, like getting like, um, some kind of uh, filled with life, filled with energy. And here's why I think one, this, this passage, one Peter uses this word. In the Old Testament, those two ideas of rest are, you, are, are all the time found side by side. Where God is is where there's comfort and also where there's new life. Over and over and over again. Wherever God is hovering, it happens even in Genesis 1 in creation. God's hovering over something, new life comes or that life wasn't there. Uh, around uh, God's people, if God is there, if God's in the temple, if God is there, new life comes where there wasn't life before. And that's, I think, what Peter's trying to write about here is that the Holy Spirit and God rests on you. And that's not only a comforting thing, that's something that gives you this new life that you can't manufacture yourself. It's the definition of supernatural. That's what it is. That's what we get to experience as Christians. That's an amazing thing. And if that's true, that means we truly are blessed. It may not feel great. It may not feel good. But the reality is we are blessed. So if you follow Jesus, one of its blessings is that now, you, even now, in the chaos and trying to listen to me while through all you're cutting through all the noise and slow cookers are going off and food's getting prepared, all those kind of things, even as we sit here now, if you're a Christian, you are where God rests. And God always, always brings new life into places where there wasn't life before. Always. That's what he does. That's like the thing he does. That's what he's all about. Now, we sometimes feel this reality in difficult times. I'm talking to a lot of you in Redeemer who you said you've gone through this really difficult thing, you didn't know how you were going to do it, and God met you there. Now, that's not an enjoyable process, but even in your own experiences, you can probably all think back on how this actually happened. This is not theoretical. This is real. This is real life. You guys have lived this out already, and we want our children to live that out as well because we all go through suffering. Every single one of us, we all go through suffering. Why would we not want God to help us through this is how we can be joyful outside of whatever might happen circumstantially. Circumstances can be really difficult. We all know that. But we can also have a joy that transcends those circumstances. And the good thing about that, I think when our faith gets dragged through the mud a little bit, like the mud of life that's just kind of difficult, that's when it really becomes real. 
I think a faith that has a little bit muddy, it may not look as great and like shiny on the outside, but it's a lot more real, has a lot more weight to it. It's worth a lot more. So those are two things to remember. We're with Jesus and we're blessed. Now two things to do, uh, we commit and we continue. So we're with Jesus, we're blessed. So what do we do with that truth? We commit and we continue. We commit to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and we continue to do the good that he's called us to do. Because when I suffer, the first thing I want to do is, please, God, make it stop. Oh, no, make it stop. Please, God, go away. Whatever the thing is, just make it all go away. But Peter knows that, that's, he knows that about us. He knows that about the, the church he's writing to. And so he's like, no, 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 no. Don't stop. Commit and continue. Keep doing the good that God's called you to do. Because who else is going to do that good? You're called to do that good. Verse 19 says, So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Suffering, unfortunately, is part of following the God who suffered. I wish it wasn't true, but that's just truth. And it's not what stops us from, being, from blessing others through doing good. That means we can go through difficult times and still bless other people. Not that it's going to come from our passion. It comes from the God who works through us. God is faithful to us through good and bad. I mean, where else are we going to go anyway? The one who created us will be the one who sustains us. Now, a church that does not suffer well often very easily ends up adopting this kind of victim mentality. A victim mentality is not good for anybody, not, definitely not good for the church. A church with a victim mentality will talk about how bad everyone out there is and how good everyone in here is. We got it. We know all the things. They don't know the things. We, we've been persecuted for our faith. Like, we're the righteous ones. They don't know anything. That's a victim mentality. That's not, no one wants to join a group like that. A victim mentality will actually not let new people join in because new people, what are they going to do? Oh, they could probably cause harm. So we've got to, like, circle the wagons. We've got to protect ourselves, build, like, strong, big walls. A church with a victim mentality won't be free to work in the radical ways to love other people, especially radically loving other people who are the very people who are persecuting us. That's how we're called to live. We can't live that on our own. We have to live that way of God working through us. Because Redeemer, Max, Faith, and Isaac, wherever they are strewn about now, maybe in the other room, we are not victims. They are not victims. We're with Jesus. We're, we're blessed by God. We can't be victims if that's true. We get to bear his name. Not, not, we don't have to bear our name. We get to bear his. And we continue to do good even if we're harassed for it. And the only way we can even begin to do this, isn't because you're, you love well, isn't because you're super passionate, isn't because you care a whole lot. I mean, hopefully those things are true, but it's because of Jesus, his Holy Spirit, and the Father. That's the only way we can do this. Jesus keeps us, the Holy Spirit works through us, and the Father welcomes us. We don't do this on our own, so there's no room for pride here. We're not, like, we're not thinking about we're the best. Like God is the one who's working through us. And what he does in our suffering is he rests on us, and as he rests on us, he revives us and he blesses us and he gives us what we need in order to commit to him and continue to do the work that he's called us to do. Now the ultimate image of how to do this well, all the stuff we talked about today, the ultimate image of that is the one who we at least say that we follow, is Jesus. He suffered. He was humiliated. He was publicly tortured in front of everybody outside the city walls to let everybody know this guy's not one of us and died for his faith. What did he do as he was being tortured? He was literally praying to the Father as we were driving the nails into his hands. What is that? That is bonkers. I don't understand that. I want to live like that. 
I don't think I completely understand that yet. Jesus committed to the Father and continued to do his good work even while suffering. And if you're a Christian, that's the one you follow. You don't follow a rock star. You don't follow someone with an easy life. You don't follow someone who's insta-famous. You follow a guy who was kind of forgettable that died a criminal's death outside city walls. That's who we get to follow. And so when difficult times come, we're not surprised. That's who we follow. We follow the same name that was shamed in death, but it didn't stay that way. Through the work of the Trinity, Jesus didn't stay dead because the rest of God meant reviving, meant new life. And Jesus didn't keep that new life to himself. He freely gives it to whoever wants it. He gives this rest to us because he's with us, because he blesses us. And through him, we get to commit and we get to continue. And because Christ has committed to us with all of himself, we get to commit ourselves to him. And that's what the Lord's Supper is all about. You might have some of these under your chair. I'm going to just talk about this for a moment. Uh, the wafer is supposed to represent bread, which is supposed to represent Jesus' body. And the cup represents Jesus' blood. It's his life. It was his death. It's his resurrection that we celebrate. Joy that came and only through suffering. Blessing that comes to us because he was killed. And because of that, we get to join Jesus in this radical life. It's only because of that. And through his resurrection, he sent his Holy Spirit to empower us for us to rely on. Now, if you follow Jesus, we would love for you to join in with us. So the way we do this is um, as we sing songs, we take, we eat and drink on our own as we're singing together. But if you don't follow Jesus, uh, please don't take this because we don't want to make anyone into a religious person. And doing something that you don't actually believe in is just empty religion. So we don't want anyone to do that. No one's going to be watching you. It doesn't really matter. Just don't do the thing if you don't believe the thing, if that makes sense. Um, if you, um, but we're really glad that you're here. Or maybe you might have some thoughts of what this might actually mean in your life. And if that's true, I would love to chat with you more about it, or Tim and Ruth, or you find someone who you trust that you could chat through those things with. Let me pray.